If you're like me, you have a heart for missions and may have already done some missions work yourself. But you also see some huge issues in the way missions are being done. Like why are we still sending out monthly newsletters in a digital age when technology allows for instant updates in the palm of your hand? Or why are we convinced that we need to raise two years support before going when all 12 disciples dropped what they were doing and walked away? Or why are we allowing denominations to decide who can and cannot go do what God is calling them to do just because of things they've done in their past? And at what point did we brand following Christ to be a life of scarcity and sacrifice when it's truly a life of abundance and privilege? These are some of the blaring questions in the missions world today. And Watch Missions Live is here to reshape the way you see missions. It's time for missionaries to rise up, create a shift in perspective, a change, a revolution in the way things are done and give you the real story. One of abundance, fulfillment, and privilege. My name is Aaron Jennings, and welcome to Watch Missions Live. Hey, welcome to Watch Missions Live. It's Aaron Jennings again, and today we have Jonathan Kraus. Introduce yourself, Jonathan. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan Kraus with Love Never Fails International. Thank you for having me on the show, Aaron. <laughs> Absolutely. We have already been talking ahead of time, so I'm excited to share with you all what he's doing. Um, love never fails. Tell us a little bit about it. Like, where exactly are you, if you can share that part, and what exactly you're doing there? Absolutely. Well, Love Never Fails International is a Christian ministry. We're a 501c3, and our mission is to uh, rescue, protect, and raise children in India in Jesus' name. We are located from one side of India all the way to the other, from Mumbai, uh, to all the way to Calcutta, we have 20 centers where children come, they are fed to feed their bodies, they're educated to feed their minds, and they're taught the gospel to feed their spirits. And our vision is that we want to have these centers all over the whole country and multiply so that India one day can be a Christian nation. Very nice. That sounds like a very good goal to have. And big enough that it would take some outside help, like from God or something. <laughs> and so how did you end up in this? I like people to kind of see all the different ways they can end up in missions work. But how did you end up doing what you're doing? Was it with Love Never Fails from day one? Like, Kind of give us the origin there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, uh, one night I went over a friend's house, husband and wife. They invited me over to come watch a movie. So they put on this movie, Slumdog Millionaire. I never heard of it. I said, what is this? They said, it's a documentary. I said, boring, but okay. <laughs> you know? And they put the movie on and it totally blew me away. Now they were both Indians. So they commentated through the movie and my heart was so gripped. But something was different that night watching a movie. When I had left their house and got in to my Lexus sports car, and went home to go sleep on my $3,000 mattress, mm -hmm. I was restless because God just grabbed my heart and what a tug it was. I got out of my bed, I got all my knees, and I was just in tears crying, Lord, if you can open up a door and send me to India to help these kids, I will go. But I didn't have any connections. I didn't have any connections to a ministry in India. So you were kind of then... Because of that movie, that's kind of what sparked the India thing, and you specifically asked for that based off of the movie. Yes, and then uh, after the movie, I started to 
people would come like at church that following Sunday, the worship leader came up. I was just at a pastor's conference and here's the MP3. Here's the, um, I'm sorry. Here's a, a DVD. And it had KP Yohannan who had started a missionary work and miss, missions work in India. And he talked about the movie Slumdog Millionaire and the realities of it beyond the Hollywood. And still, you know, just continue to ask people if they had any connections because that's what you do when you have a passion you share with people. Mm-hmm. Finally, a door had opened up. And the only problem was I went to college to be a teacher. So here I am teaching. And, but it was clear, here I am, Lord, send me. And so I went to India, and that's when Love Never Fails International was started. God used me to birth this ministry. Okay, so this is when you actually started. And did you go there by yourself or were you with, or, uh, with something right off the bat? Like you went and then you started it, obviously. What was that first motion like, though, you know, before Love Never Fails was Love Never Fails? You know, were you just going and just roaming around saying, Lord, whatever you need, now we're here? Or like, what, what were you doing then? Like day one? No. Well, my dream was to go into the slums like I saw in the movie on Slumdog right. Millionaire and to work with those kids. And there was just something tugging me, but nothing opened up from Mumbai. And so I got an opportunity to go to this orphanage, which is happened to be, I didn't know anything, was the most famous orphanage in India. It's like 140 years old. Went there and didn't really feel like I was in my calling, but I knew God was just building a foundation to step me into those slums in Mumbai. So to start off in a little village was very helpful. And so I would just ask people, do you have any connections to Mumbai? And actually I saw these Australians came into the orphanage and it's like, yeah, we do. And you can never go there. They'll kill you. So get that out of your head. And I was like, nope, God's yes is greater, than, is greater than anybody's no. It's not going to deter me. And they told me a story about a pastor who went into the slums in Mumbai and they beat him up and poured gasoline and, and he was just a match away from being burned alive. And I said, nope, I need to go. That's where God's sending me. So I kept asking and I was at the orphanage uh, for a brief time, you know, less than a year. I think it was seven months. And then an opportunity came in Mumbai. So then we went there and I went there, uh, got established with a church. They said, sure, you can come. And, you know, uh, you were a teacher. You want to set something up and help our kids? Absolutely. So that was my way to reach them was reaching by teaching. I really didn't want to teach other than the gospel, but I saw there was such a need for English and opened up so many doors. And being that I was a former English teacher uh, for elementary school, it just kind of helped. I didn't really know that God prepared that to help me at the time. Mm-hmm. And so you had the, the American dream in a sense, the job and retirement and all that type of stuff. Yes, that's right. The health insurance. Uh, yeah, all the things, you know, people think that you need. But when I left, uh, I didn't have those things that people said I needed. Mm-hmm. And I just figured that, you know what? It's just something in my spirit. There was just such a joy there, such a freedom that I just didn't care. I didn't need those things, you know. I said, that's okay, you know. I need to go where God's calling me. I need to be there. I need to get to India sooner than later. Well, and what I want to point out there is, because people may not have thought about this, they may may have missed it just because we breezed past it, but 
you said you didn't realize God might have been preparing you already. And I think there's a lot of people that have their job and their house and their, their life, and that's what they attach themselves to, and they're not sure what they would do on the other side. But you didn't go there to teach English. But God said, hey, you remember that life that you had? I was actually a part of that life, and I was getting ready for this one, even though you didn't know it. And then there it is, your first entry into getting people to come in is reaching by teaching that job that you didn't know was already doing what God wanted you to do at that time. Like, there's a lot of us, I think, out there that are in a job, and that job is what's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do because you don't know what's on the other side. But what you don't realize is he's got you there in that time to prepare you for where he's taking you. So think about that. <laughs> I like to try and point it out when I see something, you know, because there's so many people, we just don't think about it like that. And there's so many things that we learned, you know, in missions work that we used from, you know, prior jobs in life before all of it. God's always preparing you. He'll take care of you where you go. So started with the English. And now, how long have you been doing it now? Now it's been 10 years full time. 10 years full-time, and now you've stretched to how many different locations, you said? We have 20 locations. We're across from Mumbai uh, to Nagpur, which is the centermost part of India, and we're in Arissa, Kolkata, Delhi, and we have uh, some centers in unreached villages, and now we're looking to move more south. Just keep spreading. Keep multiplying. That's the vision. Multiplying like Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. What did he do? He multiplied. He multiplied it, exactly. Looked in, the, in the kingdom, in the church today, like you ask, oh, what is a good leader? What is a good Christian? They're faithful, they're honest, they're integrity, but people almost like never say they multiply. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing we miss out on. Yep, yep, and it's huge. You're supposed to take the talents and the resources he gave you and use them to the best of your ability and multiply so what does a day in one of these centers look like? Like, what's morning, night? Do the kids stay there, or do they come in for the day? You know, like, give us kind of a, what would a day be like if we were there with you? Yeah, well, primarily, most of our centers are kids. They live in a slum community, and they come to this developmental center to get the help they need to break poverty. Gotcha. In Jesus' name. And so what it would look like, kids will come in the morning, and in India, they have two different school settings. One, because it's the overpopulation. You know, a country four times smaller than America and three times the population. So uh, in the morning, the kids will come in. They will uh, they'll do worship. They will have a Bible reading, Bible memorization. Then they have, uh, they have homework time. Uh, the teacher, we have a couple teachers in the room where they will do a lesson to reinforce different learning things. Uh, we also were very big on promoting English, you know, because that's the business language of the world. And so then the kids will eat a meal and then they'll go. And then later on uh, in the evening around four o'clock, the next batch of kids will come in. So we have a morning batch. We have an evening batch. The other kids will come in. Same thing, they'll do worship, they'll have a Bible reading, Bible memorization, practice on that, uh, they'll get a Bible story, then they'll get, they'll get to do their homework, then they'll get a lesson, they eat, 
And then, but there's a lot of other things that go outside of that. You know, we do activities. These kids are so poor, so we'll have a time to take them to the movies, take them to the zoo, um, take them out for ice cream, you know, dance presentations they get to do for their families. And so it's really a holistic development. The holistic meaning there's many different angles uh, to bring this child up. Just like a car that has four wheels, you're not going to drive it if it only has three. It's not going to do what it's supposed to do. And just like a child, they need to be addressed from different angles, mental, uh, emotional, physical, and primarily spiritually. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know a little bit about the culture of India, but just in case, I like to make it to where if somebody only listened to one episode ever and they never come again, they would understand the real impact of what you're doing. So give us, how is this different than the culture of India as a slum child that they're actually going to be able to experience. You know, for those that don't know anything about India, because I know a lot of people, like if you're poor in India, there's no hope. You don't learn, you don't progress, right? Yes, and here's one staggering statistic. 50% of the children in India will drop out between the ages of K through eight. 50% dropout rate. English is not you know, the norm in India, it is a luxury. You have to pay to go to an English school. And there's all different levels of English school. you got the bottom level where you can pay and it just takes the name English school, but they don't really learn English. So <laughs> I had to put kids in those schools. So you have to go to the better schools, have the higher standards. Another thing is India is the child labor capital of the world. 15% of the workforce in India are children working. Millions and millions. That's one thing I noticed. As soon as I got to India, kids were working everywhere. You go to the restaurants, they're the busboys, you know, you drive, they're everywhere working. And then on top of it, 50%, 47% of all marriages in India are child marriages. When a girl gets married as a child, she loses her childhood and she also loses her education. So these are the challenges that we face with the kids to get them to stay in school, to get educated and break poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't have social service running to your home to make you go to school like in America. They'll yeah. find your parents. You don't go to school, that's okay. We got, you know, 500 million other kids we need to try to get in school, so no problem. Mm-hmm. That's so how it seems over there. Right. So you're providing a whole world that they will never actually even have a chance to get unless a bunch of money fell out of the sky for me. That's it. A bunch of money, what is needed. It is expensive for English school, a good English school there, but also they need the relationships. They need somebody that's going to walk with them because nobody in their family may have went past third grade. They don't know what it's like. Okay, now you're in fourth grade. What happens? They're just expecting their child to go and work. They need to earn. And you have to tell them they have to look at this in the long run. Like in the long run, their kid's going to be educated. They'll be able to help them out. And so. And when you say kids, like going in the workforce and everything else, what ages are we talking about? Like when are they? Oh, it's not uncommon that when I'm walking around, I see little kids five and six years old. I could be with other Christians. And I say, look at this little girl. She's falling asleep. It's 10 o'clock at night, you know, and, and she's dozing off and she's sitting on the street and she's trying to sell like vegetables or something a little roadside and they're like no 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 she needs to work 
She needs, they need to earn money. These are local Christians. And I'm thinking, no, she needs to be at home sleeping. It's 10 o'clock. She probably has school early the next morning. That's why she's dozing off. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of the bad choices parents make affects the children. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Well, and it just shows how strong the culture of where you grow up is. It doesn't matter where in the world you are. We've been to 11 countries now. And everywhere you go, there's a set of, there's a set way of doing things <laughs> and you do it just because your parents do. And that's what the town says. When you go do anything, that's, you find the way to do it. And so, like you said, they don't think anything about it because, well, the family needs money. They need to work. And that's just the way it is. Mm. And to them, it's normal. Like you said, even the Christians there, because we would initially think, well, the Christians know better. You know, so they would be treating them a little better. But the culture is so strong. Mm. And ours is the same way. America is the same way. We have our culture. And we think that this is the way it is mm. in the rest of the world. And, you know, and that, I think it holds a lot of people back in a lot of different ways. But mm. I, I like people to hear from somebody like yourself who spends time in the culture. You know, the real impact there is these are things those kids will never experience unless they're able to get to one of your schools. So the impact is huge, that's for sure. Because I know the poverty there and the caste system really holds people to where they were born. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I always like to kind of end the episodes with a God story, a God story, something he did, a healing, a provision, something that a uh, story we wouldn't hear of unless we ran into you somewhere. Yeah, I have so many of those, <laughs> but I one that jumps out to me is when I was first new, and I just want to encourage anybody that's listening, if God puts something on your heart, don't let fear paralyze you, and don't get paralysis by analysis. Don't overthink it. Don't learn to reserve the largest part of your brain for all the things of God you do not understand. Just step out in faith, hold God to his word. So I went to India. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. And quite frankly, I had more questions than I did answers. But I knew God had called me there. There was a passion that was undeniable. It was a, something I was experiencing that I, I had to get there to India. And so when I first went there, like I said, I was at the orphanage. But I knew my, that my destiny was to work with the children and help the kids in the slums and to break out of that poverty. And so first time we were walking around uh, outside of the orphanage and I saw some slums. And my first thought was fear came in and I felt a little bit scared because I was told you can't go work with them, they'll kill you, you know, people in the slums, you know, give it up. Uh, that was the first couple interactions with people in India and they told me about that. So. I saw these two little kids standing at a little slum shack and I said, Lord, I said, no, exactly. I said, Holy Spirit, if this is you, give me perfect peace and I will walk over there. And I just felt this peace just overcome me. And mind you, I was scared to fly and I had a 16 hour flight to get to India. So like I said, don't let your fear paralyze you. What are you going to do when your fear stands in front of your dream. I said, just get on the plane and just make it. 
get on the plane. I, there was no Xanax. There was no nothing. Just get on the plane and just, you know, be in for it. Trust God. Um, and so here's another thing. I want to work in the slums, but now I got the fear. And I walked over there and there was this little girl who was standing there. It was probably about like 11 o'clock in the morning. All the kids would have been in school by then. And she, she was eight years old and her name was Anita. So I said, I said, Tuzanelkai. I started to learn the language and she told me Anita, that means what's your name? I don't know, I just, I didn't really know much in the language. I was kind of new. So I said, Tuanaditaheka. And that means, are you happy? And she said, Nahi. And that means no. So then I went back with the people I was with because they wouldn't come with me, the Indians. They're like, we're not going over there. No, no, I wasn't there to uh, tell them I was, I knew I was going. The Holy Spirit gave me peace. I went, well, that little girl wasn't in school. Her dad had left and abandoned the family. She was the, such a precious little girl. We ended up uh, getting her in school. And it was the biggest smile I've ever seen on a little girl's face the first day I went to her school and she was there and she was in the classroom. It just made, I don't know, it was just so amazing. So then I went to her, uh, her mom and her mom's like, I can't believe you're doing all this for us. Like nobody ever helped us like this. This is amazing. And I said, yeah, it's nice. But the best thing I could do for your daughter is bring her to church. Let me bring her to church. Well, I had to think about it because they were Hindus. Sunday came. I went with uh, some people I was working with in that village. And we pulled up and her mom said, yeah, you can take her. So I'm thinking, little girl's eight years old, Hindu. She's going to feel really out of place at this church you know, in a village. They were very energetic, very charismatic. And uh, she took like a fish to water. I could not believe it. And then we ended up being able to go back and share the gospel with her whole village. We did a Jesus film and wow. And that was just one thing, but I never would experience Anita uh, just seeing how God opened up doors unless I stepped out in spite of fearing it, having that fear and just saying, okay, I'll back away. But I went to God and he was greater than it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And it sounds like, you know, I like to see that as like the devil's trying to hold you back. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to get the flight and then you had to get your feet moving to walk over to, him, you know, and anytime God calls you to do something, expect to not feel like doing it. <laughs> right but the reason is because like you've just been a quarterback pulled off the bench and thrown into the game the devil doesn't care when you're sitting on the bench but once you're in the game now it's like you out and send you back to that bench and everything in life is that way if you follow christ the devil's gonna say hey now that you're trying to follow christ i would love to send you back to where you're comfortable Mm. I'm going to try and stop you and send you back to that comfortable job with the retirement and the benefits and all that. That's where you came from. You're going to play on those fears. So that's awesome. <laughs> and I'm sure we could sit here and tell stories all afternoon because I've been there. So I know when you're walking hand in hand with God like that, that chasing his ministry, it you got to get a journey or you forget everything he's done. <laughs> Well, thank you for giving us your time and sharing with us about your ministry and your stories. I appreciate you being on here and getting to know you.
Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you for what you're doing following your calling. Uh, you're very welcome. I'm passionate about it, and I think that makes it a whole lot easier. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Jonathan Krauss with Love Never Fails. Um, if you want to check out his website, it's loveneverfailsindian.com, and we'll post that up in the uh, remarks under the episode as well. But thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episodes. Hey, thank you for your time. Please remember to rate and subscribe. After being a full-time missionary, I got tired of people looking at me like it must be really hard to do what you do. And they'd say things like, I'd love to be able to do something like that, but insert excuse. When the real reason was because they saw what we were doing as a sacrifice. That to do missions work, they would have to give up everything that quite honestly was forcing them to do things they didn't like for people they couldn't stand so they could afford things that they didn't need. The truth is, as full-time missionaries, it was one of the few times in my life when I was truly fulfilled. It was the closest to God I'd ever been. Debt-free, not stressed, and living the life of an adventure I'd always wanted. If you too believe that it's time for a change, then head over to watchmissionslive.com and join the revolution.